Joshua chapter 3. Little different approach tonight. Tonight uh, we have, um, and I know this is going to like twist your brain, but we're doing chapters 13 through 17 tonight. I uh, know that just twisted your brain and you're like, wait a minute, pastor, I got a time limit and you haven't even started teaching yet. So, so what, what we're not going to do is go through this verse by verse, all right, and I'll explain to you um, the content of these verses and why we've taken a little bit of a different, a different approach. Um, but what we are going to do tonight, there are five places that we're going to land and five lessons that we're going to learn from the allotment of land to the tribes of Israel, and it's super applicable. So let me go ahead and pray for us, and we'll uh, get into the Word of God. Father, thank you. God, we are so thankful for your Word, for all that you do here in this ministry. God, this is your church, and we want you to have your way. We want you to fulfill your will. God, we just, being spiritually, spiritually lazy is abhorrent to us. God, turning inward and focusing on, on ourselves, we can't even imagine after all that your son has done for us. And so, God, we pray that our gatherings would be filled with your presence and filled with praise and, God, times of excitement and joy and, God, times where burdens are laid down at your feet and sorrow turns into joy and mourning turns into dancing and discouragement turns into hope. Father, where your people are strengthened and, and also, God, where the lost are saved. And Father, we pray that as you scatter us through, we just were asking that the name of Jesus would, would frame our city, would that the Spirit would fall upon our city. We pray, God, that this would be a, this church would be a bright, shining light and that the people, the lost people in our city that you love so much, God, we would receive the mission you have for us in being sent to them and to be bearers of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, speak to us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you read, and I'm going to encourage you guys, because we're just landing in five different sections uh, in these chapters, I do want to encourage you to take the time later on to read through these chapters. As you do, or if you did, I know that you would have the question, why all of this content? Why all of this information? Why all this data? Because there's a lot of data in here. There are kings that are mentioned there are tribes that are mentioned, there are territories that are mentioned, there are details that I think would be easy for us to say, wow, it just, it just kind of seems superfluous in a way. And that's why I want to remind you of the overarching plan of God that's being worked out in the children of Israel. Remember, and not just the children of Israel, but through the children of Israel. Remember, all the way back in the book of Genesis, after the fall, that God had promised that he was going to and let me just put this in super simple terms. He was going to fix the problem. He was going to resolve the issue. And the issue I'm talking about is the choice that Adam and Eve made to eat of the tree of the knowledge, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then everything, remember, that's not myth, that's not fable, that's not fairy tale, that's fact. That's historical fact. And at that moment, sin was introduced into society. 
And immediately you see the devastating effects because they were filled with fear. They were fleeing from God. They were trying to cover and conceal their sin. Right away, there's conflict in their family as their oldest son, Cain, murders their youngest son, Abel. Like immediately you see the trauma and the tragedy of, of the effects of sin. But before that happens, God makes a promise that he is going to solve the situation by sending a savior. That from the seed of the woman, that there would be this blessing, that there would be this one of the seed who would overcome the adversary, the serpent of old, the devil. And that this particular man who would be the Messiah would usher in the great redeeming work of God in all of creation and amongst humanity. And so that is the overarching plan of God. And, and as you read the book of Genesis, you see that, that the story narrows. What does God do? Well, God picks a man and a woman. Their names were Abraham and Sarah. And God gives a promise that through them, he is going to establish and choose. He's going to make a nation. Because this is what God can do. You and I are like, hey, we'll make some backdrops and stuff like that. God's like, hey, I'll make a nation. I'll make a planet. You know, I'll, I'll make... I'll make star generators because God can do that kind of thing. Well, he makes a nation, and from the nation, as he's just narrowing the scope of his work, he brings forth and he brought forth the Messiah. And like I said, through the Messiah, he has and is in the process of redeeming creation and also humanity. But it was the nation that God had promised to Abraham that would be the instrument ultimately. I mean, there's a lot that God did to the nation of Israel. But fundamentally and foremost, it was through Israel that God brought his Messiah. And so all these details matter because they're con connected to the greater picture. And so when we're talking about tribes and we're talking about entering into the promised land, we're talking about land that would, was going to be um, an allotment for the children of Israel. All of that is connected to this overarching work that God was going to do. It, in addition to that, what we see is aspects of the character of God that are brought to bear in his dealings with the people of Israel. You say, well, what characteristics of God do we see brought to bear through Israel in the shelling out of the prop property? Well, it's his, it's his faithfulness. It's the promise of God. You know, God gave a promise hundreds of years earlier, and just because a lot of time transpired didn't mean that God forgot his promise. God fulfilled that promise, and here we see, even in spite of their dereliction of duty, even in spite of their waywardness and their distractedness, even in spite of the reality that the, the promise was postponed, what did God do? God ultimately brought it to pass. And there's a lot to be thankful for in that. I, can I tell you tonight that God doesn't forget his promises to you? Can I remind you to that, tonight that no matter how many days go by, no matter how many months go by, no matter, matter how many years go by, those things that God has promised to bring into your life, whether they're found in his word or that he has told you in, your, in, in the secret place, in the secret place where he sees in secret and then rewards you openly, those things that he has privately promised to you, he has not forgotten. You can anchor yourself, in other words, to the promises of God. And as we look back to these details that sometimes seem to be a little bit irrelevant or superfluous, no, what we're reminded of, again, of 
is the amazing character of the God that we love and serve and worship. And so be encouraged tonight that as we read these verses that God is reminding you of something that I think is, is just so important. We see as well, as we've talked a lot about Joshua, that Joshua was not just a faith-filled man, and we know he was, because what we see time and time again, especially in the moment of calamity, that Joshua is hearing from God, and I'll just tell you, you don't hear from God unless you're listening to God, right? You don't hear from God, you're like, I don't understand, Pastor, God talks to all these people, but, but he doesn't talk to me. I'm like, well, are you sitting in his presence listening? Well, no. No. Uh, when we're in study together in the church, uh, are you, is your Bible open or are you surfing your social media? And you guys don't think I can see up here, right? <laughs> All I'm saying to you is this, what we see, and maybe the thing that I love most about Joshua is that he was a, a man who was, he was faith-filled, he leaned into God. It's not just that, but he was also, he was also strategic, right? We looked at that I believe it was last week, that he was just a good military leader. I mean, this, this guy had a mind that was shaped by the Lord, and he was God's man for the moment. Tonight, what we're going to see, and we're not going to talk about this directly, but I just want to say it before I say anything else, what we're going to see is that he was also an amazing administrator and leader. You know, I mean, nothing, well, maybe I shouldn't say it like that. One of the most challenging things to do is to lead the people of God. I almost said there's nothing harder than leading the people of God, and I thought maybe I shouldn't say that because it's not altogether true. But certainly, you know, you look at the life of Moses and you look at the life of Joshua, and leading God's people was not an easy thing. There, there were a lot of issues that came up, and, and Joshua, as we read the pages of uh, these scriptures tonight, what we're going to see is that he was a solid administrator. He was a great leader. Five things tonight that we're going to see. The first one is this, if you're taking notes. There is a danger of dwelling on the border. So like I said, we're going to land in certain places. Um, every chapter we're going to touch except chapter 16. It's a short chapter and it really could be connected to, um, it could have just been all contained in chapter 17. But why don't you turn in your Bibles to verse 8 of chapter 13. And what we see tonight is the allotment of land that was given to Reuben, that was given to Gad, that was given to the half-tribe of Manasseh, and that was also given to the tribe of Judah. These are the things that we're going to see tonight. In fact, I've, I've got a, I have got a map up on the screen for you, because I think sometimes when we talk about allotment and land and tribes, it's hard for us to get our mind around, but as you know, ultimately we will go through um, not just 13 and 17 tonight, 13 through 17, but also 18 and 19 next week, all of the land's going to be distributed to all of the tribes. And like I said, tonight we're just going to focus on Manasseh. Up on the right you see Manasseh, you see that, by the way, is the half-tribe. So Manasseh was a full tribe, one of the sons of Joseph. That tribe was split in half because half of them wanted to be on the other side of the Jordan River. And then you have Gad below that, you have Reuben below that, and then we're also going to touch on Judah, which is in the bottom lower left of the map. The only problem I have with this map is Judah did not really take all of the land that was allotted. That coastal portion where you see Ashdod, Ekron, Ashkelon, 
And in Gaza, uh, that really was territory that was maintained by the Philistines, and that became a, a real thorn in the side of the tribe of Judah for many centuries. I'm going to leave that map up there on the screen for you just so you can take it in. Verse 8. With the other half of the tribe of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastward. You can see that up there. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them from Aroer, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and the city that is in the middle of the valley, and all the tableland of Mediba, as far as Debon, and all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the boundary of the Ammonites and Gilead and the region of the Geshurites and the Maacathites and all Mount Hermon and all Bashan to Saleka, all the kingdom of Og and Bashan and reigned in Ashtaroth and in Edrei. He alone was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. By the way, these are really difficult words to say and, you know, thanks. That's, I was kind of looking for that, to be honest with you. Thanks, Zelda. Zelda has a gift of encouragement. These Moses had struck and driven out, yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Geshurites or the Maacathites, but Geshur and, and Maacath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. So, so, as you see from the screen, this is the interesting thing, right? You would think, hey, all of the tribes, there are 12 tribes, but remember the tribe of Joseph is broken up into Ephraim and, and Manasseh, so technically there were 13 you would think that all of them would be thinking, right? Because this is what you would have been thinking if you were in one of the tribes. You would have been thinking, man, we've waited this long. We've waited this long. We want to go into the fullness of the, of the land that God has for us. We want to, in other words, we want to possess all that God has given to us to possess. Mind-blowing, there were... Uh, Two and a half tribes that had decided to settle on the other side, the east side of the Jordan River. And obviously, as you see tonight, that's the half tribe of Manasseh, the tribe of Reuben, and the tribe of Gad. And they made this agreement with Moses. We talked about it briefly some weeks ago. They said to Moses, hey, listen, this is the deal, and I'll tell you why they said this in a moment. We want to hang on this side of the Jordan River. And Moses says, well, listen, if that's what you want, we'll make the concession but in making the concession, you have to agree to allowing your soldiers to go into the promised land and to fight with the rest of the tribes until the Canaanite land is fully conquered and the other tribes inherit their possession. And they said, hey, okay, we'll do that. Well, we've journeyed with them for some five to seven years because it took a long time for them to conquer the vast majority of the various city-states that were occupying uh, Canaan at the time. Their soldiers had done that work, and so now it's time for them to inherit the land that they wanted to inherit. This was the deal. You say, well, why was it that they came up short of the possession? The Bible tells us that when they got to the land that was on the east side of the Jordan River, it looked a lot differently than it looks today. If you're with me in Israel in like a week or so, we'll be driving down the Jordan Rift Valley and we'll be on the Israeli side. We'll look over eastward to the uh, Jordanian side and all you will see is like desert land, nothing green, kind of like Las Vegas. 
if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, is like the land of Mordor. You know, I mean, it is just totally barren. But back in this day, it was a lush land. It was a land that was good for livestock. And so what these tribes did is they lifted up their eyes, the Bible said, and they, they saw the land. In fact, Numbers 32 puts it like this. Now the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock, and they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. So they looked with their eyes. They, their hearts were attracted because of what they saw. They thought with the mind of man, they were making their own personal calculations, and they rested, they leaned into their own understanding instead of leaning into the understanding and into the promise of God. And this would prove to be very problematic for these people as they were dwelling on the border. They were strategically exposed by the various nations to the east. In fact, as you read the Old Testament, what you'll recognize is that time and time again, whether it was Assyria or whether it was the Moabites or whether it was the Edomites, these particular tribes were constantly getting run over time and time again because they were living outside of the protection, not just of the land, but of the other tribes. You guys know there's safety in numbers. There's safety in numbers. And so as they isolated themselves off on the other side of the Jordan River, they exposed themselves. Not only that, but they were separated from the strength of God's people. And by that, I don't just mean a military strength. I mean a spiritual strength as well. Not only were they overrun because they lived on the fringe, but they were also spiritually weak because they were on the other side of the Jordan River and they were outside, in a sense, they were outside of the influence of the other tribes. In fact, the Bible says this in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 25. But they broke faith with the God of their fathers, and this is, this is a heavy word, right? And whored after the gods of the peoples of the land. That word simply means that they committed spiritual idolatry, right? They were supposed to be living in fidelity and loyalty to um, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were supposed to have no other gods before Yahweh, and they committed spiritual adultery. They went after, they worshipped false gods. And so the scripture says, and whored after the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, the spirit of Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and he took them into exile, namely the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and brought them to Hala, Habor, Hara, and the river goes on to this day. So, so, they, so because they had committed this spiritual idolatry, they had put themselves in a position because, by the way, God has a jealous love for you. God has a jealous love for you. And God loved this nation so much that he wasn't just going to settle for them a whoring after false gods. He brought difficulty, tribulation, adversity into their lives to wake them up to their spiritual need that they might turn back to the Lord. By the way, he is so good to do that in our lives. Look, I want to say to you tonight, point number one is this. There is a real danger that we can have if we're choosing 
to be border believers, if we're choosing to be border believers, if we're those types of Christians that just kind of live on the fringe. Now, I know it's Thursday night, it's midweek, and you midweekers are just gnarly in your faith, right? Everyone else might go once on Sunday, you go twice. You're a Thursday nighter, you're a Sunday morninger, and maybe you hit a, a life group too. So, so you, you know, you, you, you just may be all in. But on the other hand, the reality is this. There are a lot of people who, who fail to fully possess everything that God has for them. They live on the fringe. They're on the other side of the river. They're outside of the strength of the community of God's people. They satisfy themselves with religious rituals that give them a sense of fulfillment of spiritual duty, but is not the spirit-filled life. It's not really the fullness of walking as a disciple of Jesus Christ as God has intended. And the fact is this, when you and I do that, there are a lot of things we run the risk of. We run the risk of losing the, the, the strength of the community of God's people. Man, there is, there is a strength when you are fully locked into a local church and you're being prayed for and you're praying for others and you're, you're holding people accountable and people are holding you accountable and you're serving and you're using your gift. There's a, there's a real strength there. People say to me, hey, pastor, I want to grow in my faith. I say, really? Well, lock into the body of Christ, get plugged into a life group and start serving God and you will, you will grow exponentially. It will blow your mind. In addition to that, because sometimes people aren't engaging in that, they also in a spiritual sense, they expose themselves to a lot of potential, a lot of potential dilemma with the devil, right? I mean, you're on the fringe, you're living in the fringe, and it's easy in that place to find yourself distracted by things that the devil puts before your face, right? He's got the bling, he's got, you know, He's got the bling. We lift up our eyes like these tribes did. We start to look and to see where the land is well watered instead of leaning into the guidance and the direction and the wisdom of God. And it's, it's in that place that we can become easy pickings. We give ourselves away to temptation. The first thing is this as we look at these uh, border tribes is don't be a border believer. Don't live on the fringe. Make sure you're locking uh, in as much as you possibly can to the Lord and to the community of God's people. Uh, it, next, verse 14, to the tribe of Levi alone, Moses gave no inheritance. The offerings by fire to the Lord, God of Israel, are the inheritance as he said to him. So you might be thinking tonight, hey, wait a minute, pastor, you missed a tribe. You said, you said it's the half-tribe of Manasseh and Gad and Reuben and Judah. Well, what about Levi? Well, the Bible says here that Levi had Levi had no inheritance. There was no land that was allotted to Levi. And that's because they were dedicated to the calling of God in their life. They were a special tribe that was dedicated to the service of God. And what the scripture tells us here is that that was their inheritance. And so you remember with me that the Levites were the ones that were serving in the tabernacle. Um, from the tribe of Levi, you had the high priest, you had those who were serving um, in setting up the tabernacle and tearing it down when it was going to be moved. Uh, they were the ones who were ushering the presence of God in. They were the ones who were singing praises to God and leading the people in singing praises to God. 
that was the calling that God had upon their lives. And not only was this something that they did in the tabernacle, but ultimately this was something that they would do in the temple as well. And the Bible tells us that their service was their inheritance. And I, and I love that. Their service to God was their inheritance. In fact, the way that it's put here in the scriptures, it was the offerings of sacrifice that were made to God that were the inheritance of the tribe of Levi. So the privilege, the opportunity for them wasn't in land that was allotted, it was in service that was supplied. And I think, man, there's nothing better than that, right? You could read the story of the tribes and get to the tribe of Levi and think, man, those guys, they got ripped off. They got ripped off. Like after all of that, they don't get any land. And I say, man, they didn't get ripped off. They got blessed. Man, to be in a place where you are the ones who have the privilege of setting up the place and tearing down the place where the people of God worship, to be the ones who are taking the sacrifice, maybe it's a morning sacrifice or the evening sacrifice, maybe the sacrifices on any given feast, making sure that what's being sacrificed is pleasing to God and appropriate for being sacrificed, and then offering it to God on behalf of the people. And remember, that's what the priests did. They, in a way, they stood between uh, man, humanity, people, and God. They represented the people to God, and they represented God to the people. And that, I know that you, you, you have to think, what, a, what an amazing privilege. They didn't lose out at all. In fact, if anybody had the blessing, it was the tribe of Levi. They did have 48 cities that were spread out over the land, 48 cities that were dedicated to the Levitical priesthood. And I think that the picture that's given to us is God wanted his spiritual in influencers to be distributed across the land. He wanted his influencers to be distributed across the people. You say, well, I'm not from the tribe of Levi, pastor. Like, how does that apply to my life at all? I say, you're not of the tribe of Levi. You might not be a Levitical priest, but we are a kingdom of priests as believers in Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And all the people of God said what? First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, because I know you want more. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're like, man, I'm not a priest. I say, yeah, you are. Yes, you are. This is what he's made you. He's, he's made us a kingdom of priests. You say, well, no, wait a minute. The priests and pastors, that's different. The priests are over at the Catholic church and and the pastors are here at Awaken Las Vegas, and, and you guys do the service. The service has been allotted to you, and I say, no, we all have a holy vocation. All of us do. We've been all called to be image bearers. We've all been called to reflect the glory of God and the beauty and power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have yet to believe. And let me just say this. This is your overriding, arching purpose as a follower of Jesus Christ. And God has blessed you. You say, man, that's, that's not what I do for a living. I'm a, I'm a teacher, or I work in uh, environmental services, or 
I'm a casino owner, or, you know, I work at a 7-Eleven, or whatever the case may be. You're like, well, that's really my vocation. I'm a, I'm a doctor. I'm a dentist. I'm a lawyer. I, I change beds, or whatever the case may be. I say, no, that is, that is the place, that is the calling that God has given to you to do all that you do to the glory of God, because when you're in that vocation and you're serving God, your vocation goes to another level. And by that, I simply mean this, that people are watching the way that you do things. People are watching how you do what you do, regardless of where it is that you may find yourself working. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad, and I mean that as well. People are looking, people are watching the way you do what you do, and when they see that there's a difference, when they see that there is there is a different attitude, that there is a different integrity. All of that not only gives glory to God, but it provides an opportunity for you to tell them why you are the way that you are. God has sprinkled us across the city of Las Vegas. The greatest work, the greatest missions work that this church does is sitting right here in these seats tonight. And, and then, and then, After the service, we all go our way, and we're sprinkled like salt. Jesus said it, you are the salt of the earth. And I'll tell you, salt works best when it's been distributed. You come over to my house, and I say, hey, listen, we've made a meal for you tonight, and and, um, it may not be to your flavoring, and so we've got some salt. There's a salt block sitting right in the middle of the table, and so you can take a bite of your potatoes and just lick the salt block, and we'll pass it around, and and, you know, I'll take a lick, and you take a lick, and you're like, man, I'll take a hike. That's what I'll do. <laughs> no, thank you. I mean, that's not the way that it works, right? What we do is we sprinkle it. We sprinkle it. Somebody once said Christians are like, in, in this vein of thought, they said Christians are like manure. <laughs> Spread out, we do a lot of good, but bunched together, we stink. <laughs> and I, I think that that's good. So... So remember tonight, we, we, like the Levites, we're not of this world. We're not laying up for ourselves treasures on this earth. God may give us property. God may give us cars, but it all belongs to him anyway. That's not our real allotment. Our real allotment is the holy vocation that he has called all of us to. Amen. Various sprinkled amens across <laughs> the church tonight. Verse 6, chapter 14, the, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Kenizzite said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. You guys remember the story? Anybody? Caleb? Anybody? Ring a bell? Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God, and Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day, say it. 85 years old. What do you think he wants? He's like, dude, can I have a boat for on the Red Sea and just chill and 
Um, I'd like a little, uh, a little house on the 18th hole down, you know, in Beersheba. He says, I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. Check this out. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with the great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall draw. You guys remember who the Anakim are? Who are, who are they? Giants, right? Giants. Giants in the land. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. So the third thing that we see tonight is this. You are never too old for the next faith adventure that God has for you. And yeah, hey, all you older people tonight, I won't give you the benchmark on that, but you can like, you can respond and say amen. amen. Some of you are older than you think you are. <laughs> hey, I want to say, like we look at, we look at Caleb's life. You remember who Caleb was. There were 12 spies that went in the land and they saw, man, uh, land flowing with milk and honey, grapes as big as pomegranates, but there's a problem. You know, there were giants in the land that made us look like grasshoppers. I mean, we were itsy bitsy, teeny weeny, tiny in their eyes. And their knees were shaking, their hearts were melting. And of the 12 that came back, there were 10 that said, man, this is just a total impossibility. God has called us to the impossible. It is better for us to stay on the east side of the Jordan River. And there were two who were like, man, if God has called us, God's going to do it. Doesn't matter how big the giants are. And those two, you remember, were Joshua and Caleb, two that had committed themselves fully and completely to following the Lord. Forty-five years later from that disappointing and discouraging moment where Caleb and Joshua saw the faith of the children of Israel falter, and then not just falter, but for 40 years dwelling with a faithless people until that generation died away, what we discover 45 years later is this, this man of God who, are like, who was like, I'll hey, I'll take the mountains and the giants, you know? Give me the hardest challenge. Give me the place that's going to bring the most significant adversity, right? Here he is in his waning years at 85 years old, and he is consistent in his faith as he was when he was 40. I love that about Caleb. He was as faith-filled, like this guy was not looking to ride out in the sunset. He was, wasn't looking to just fade away. He didn't want to just bide his time in the last chapter of his life and enter into his retirement and, and, and twiddle his fingers and play golf and hang on his boat because he'd invested so much and gone through so much adversity. No, there was still this willingness to trust in God. You know, Caleb understood that though time may have changed, God had not changed. God was the same God. God was the same God in this moment at 85 years old as he was when Caleb was 40 years old and came back and gave a report, an honest report, that there would be adversity, that there would be difficulty, that there were giants in the land, but God was able to give the victory. And God was able to give the victory, then he was convinced. And because he was convinced then, he knew that God was able to give the victory in that moment of his life. 
at 85 years old. He had seen God do a lot over the course of 40 years. He'd watched God provide for the children of Israel to the extent that while they wandered in the, dil- in, in, in the wilderness, in the wilderness, walking in circles, their sandals never wore out, that God faithfully provided for them. He- yes. He had seen God. He, he had seen God through adversity. Remember, he was an individual who was willing to walk by faith, and yet he suffered the drama of other people's faithfulness, uh, faithlessness. I could imagine that Joshua would be, or Caleb would be like, God, you know what? I, I was faithful. I stuck it out. I gave a good report. And you know what? Frankly, I'm tired. There's just so much drama, so much drama that other people cause. And so, God, you know what? I'm a little discouraged. The the promise has been postponed, and yet you know that anticipation that Caleb had never waned. It never went away. He wasn't overwhelmingly frustrated. You know, the truth is this. Sometimes when we are a victim of other people's bad decisions, sometimes we lay that back on God, and we get discouraged, and we we start to have Faith that wanes, faith that fades. We lose faith in God because of the activity of others. I hear people say, you know what, Pastor? You know, I'll tell you why I've de-churched. I don't go to church anymore because, because you know, there's so much failure and there's, there are uh, so many leaders that don't meet expectations and there's so much drama among Christians. And, and you know what, what I say back is I, I say, you know what, that's true. I mean, those are realities. The, 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 the church is a, a hospital for sinners, but it's also a school for saints. We're all growing and learning to walk in the footsteps of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, but we don't set our eyes on people and their failures. We set our eyes on the unchanging one. We set our eyes on the one who never lets us down. We set our eyes on the one who always faithfully comes through. You say to me tonight, how after 45 years... Did Caleb remain in a place where he was as spiritually sharp as he was when he was 40 years old? I would say to you, because he was always up for a challenge. He was always up for a challenge. He always saw the problem as an opportunity for God to do something great. He wasn't one who shied away. He wasn't one who ran. He wasn't one who hid, as it were, under the covers. He wasn't one who marginalized himself and sought a place of safety and security. He was always willing to take the the, the challenging issue that God brought before him, and he was willing to take it head on. I want to encourage you, because our flesh is always looking to lighten the load. Our flesh is always looking to make it a little bit easier. I mean, our flesh is always encouraging us to to back off of the challenge or the issue. And this is the problem with that. The problem is it's in the challenge and and, and the adversity that your faith is sharpened. It's in that place where the boat is filling with water and you think it's about to sink that Jesus reminds you, have faith in me. Never lose sight of me. In fact, step out of the boat and I'll show you how you can walk on water. Caleb wasn't in a place where he wanted to retire from the drama and the challenge. He was in a place where he was ready. He was ready for another adventure. I want to say to you, maybe you're new in your, in your faith and, and you have that type of zeal. Don't lose it. 
Don't lose it. Always lean into the adversity and the difficulty that God has divinely set before you. I, there is always adversity as a spiritual leader that God has set before me and set before the leadership team. And we've learned over the course of time that every difficulty is an opportunity, right? Every barrier is God giving us an opportunity to trust him by faith. And if you're older tonight, I want to encourage you, God is not done with you. God has another, he has another challenge for you to step into, and that is the place where your faith is strengthened. Turn to chapter 15, verse 13. We're going to wrap up here. The Bible says two, two more things. According to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, he gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, a portion among the people of Judah, Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, uh, Arba was the father of Anak, and Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, and a high man. He was a high man because he was a giant. I made that up today. And you know when I made it up, I thought, I wonder if anyone's ever made that. I think that's like original. I'm totally blessed to be able to experience that with you guys. So Sheshai and a high man. And Talmai, the descendants of Anak. And he went up from there against the inhabitants of Debir. Now, the name of Debir formerly was Kiriath Sefer. And Caleb said, whoever strikes, strikes Kiriath Sefer and captures it, to him will I give Aksa, my daughter, as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, God help me with these names, the brother of Caleb, captured it and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. When she came to him, she urged him to ask her father for a field, and she got off her donkey, and Caleb said to her, what do you want? I don't think it was like that. It's this baby girl, right? He's like, oh, honey, I love you so much. I'm wrapped around your finger, baby. Baby girl, that's what it means in the Hebrew. Baby girl, no, it's not, but baby girl, what do you want? She said to him, give me a blessing, since you have given me the land of Negev, which is, which is by the way, um, it's all desert, uh, so it, it wasn't the greatest. Give me also springs of water, and he gave her the upper springs and lower springs, because that's what fathers do with their daughters. But let me say this, point number four is faith, you want to have faith that has an influence. You want to have faith that has an influence. So, so Caleb's faith is rubbing off on others. His faith was an influence. Others were impacted by his willingness to lean into the challenge and trust God. Don't forget your faith or your lack of faith is contagious. Your faith or your lack of faith is contagious. How are you influencing people? When people look at your life, are they discouraged to follow God or are they encouraged to follow God? Are they encouraged to take great steps of faith that includes sacrifice and risk when people look at your life, do they consistently see you trusting God in a way where God is consistently coming through for you? Because when people see that, I'm telling you, it's encouraging. Who is this Othniel guy? Othniel's the brother of Caleb. And this is what he learned from his bro, and I think it was his big bro. He watched his bro slay giants. That's what Othniel did. And as he watched his bro slay giants, he thought, hey, if God can do it for my bro, he can do it for me. And, and this is, listen, this is why 
The story that God is working in your life in this church matters so much. It doesn't matter what God's doing in my life. I'm just one person. But when we collectively together are talking about the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the coming throughness, it's not a word, but the coming throughness of God, you know what happens. It's like, man, you get lit up. God breathes on that ember in your heart and pretty soon you're on fire. And you know someone comes to you and says, hey, why are you so on fire for, for God? You're like, man, I saw what he was doing in my sister's life, and I thought if God can do it for her, he can do it for me. I want to encourage you tonight. I don't know what giant's in your land. I don't know what obstacle you're facing. But the God who comes through for your brothers and sisters around you is the same God that can come through for you. It, it wasn't just that his, it, it wasn't just that Othniel was encouraged, but his daughter, Caleb's daughter, was encouraged too, too, because you know that being this bold is not the way it worked in the culture. Being this bold, like she, she rolls up on her donkey, right? Because that's how it worked back then. She rolled, I, I, I had this picture when I was studying, I'm like, what the heck did that look like, man? She just cruising along, pop, 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 pop. I mean, I just love how specific the scriptures are, man. She's, she, she's you know, she's gonna go talk to her pops, and so she saddles her donkey, and she gets on her donkey, and she rolls up to her dad, and, and she's like, hey, oh, hey, dad. And he's like, what's up, baby girl? What's up, baby girl? She gets off her, her donkey, and you know what she is? She's a strong woman. Like, she's, she's not to be trifled with. She's a strong woman. I'll tell you why she's a strong woman. She's a strong woman be because she had a dad of faith. She had a dad who was there. She had a dad who was present. She had a dad who believed. She had a dad who didn't falter in the face of faithlessness of others. She had a dad who kept his eyes on the Lord and the abilities of God. And you know what? I don't know what mom looked like, but I would imagine mom looked the same way. She was raised up. She was nurtured. She was handed this legacy of faith. And what happened was there was a boldness in her life because of it. What we see here is the transmission of faith from parent to child. And, and I love it, man. You know, the greatest influence for God in the life of your child is you. It's you. And sometimes as a pastor, you know, people come to, to me or to our school, um, right, Julie, um, or to our ministries, right, Pastor Jim, and they, they look at us and they're like, hey, I need you to, I need you to do this for, for my kids. I need, I need you to disciple my kids. I need you to be a spiritual influence. I, I need you to fix my kids. I need, I need. And it's like, wait a minute, we're here to help. We're a compliment, we're not a supplement. We're here to come alongside of you and to help you be the influence that God has called you to be because the responsibility at the end of the day lies at your feet, it's your child. It's your child. And so remember, hey, it's great for you to work hard so that your kids your children have nice clothes so that they have great opportunities, so that they're well-fed and taken care of. But the most important thing that you do for your sons and your daughters is show them how to follow Jesus Christ. Show them how to walk in his ways. Show them how to be a person of faith. Show them how to be a, a man or a woman of integrity. Show them how to be honest when you blow it and fail because you know what? You will blow it and fail. And the worst thing that you can do for your children is conceal it and hide it and act like it doesn't work and roll into church and lift your hands in, in praise because your kid's <clears throat> going to say to you, 
or they won't say to you because you've not created an environment of honesty. Your child's going to be thinking, what a hypocrite. If that's what it means to follow God, I don't want any part of it. That honesty and transparency, just to be able to say, hey, listen, you know what? I raised my voice, voice and I shouldn't have. Um, I, I made a bunch of decisions and I should have included you in that process. Hey, I've been really busy and I've been neglecting you. I just want to tell you I'm sorry. That honesty goes so far and it, it builds a nurturing relationship between you and your children. I love the legacy that was laid down here. Legacy begins at home first. Finally tonight, thanks for being patient. Chapter 17, flip on over there with me. Verse 14 the Bible says, and the people of Joseph spoke to Joshua. Now, we're in, um, we're in the tribe of, of Joseph. Remember, Joseph is Ephraim and Manasseh. It's interesting here that they're called the people of Joseph. Topic for another time. Then the people of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given me but one lot and one portion as an inheritance? Although I'm a numerous people, since all along the Lord has blessed me. And Joshua said to them, if you are numerous people, go up by yourselves to the forest and there clear ground for yourselves in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim. Send the hill country of Ephraim, uh, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. The people of Joseph said, the hill country is not enough for us. Yet all the Canaanites who dwell in the plain of chariots of iron, you can hear this, they're like, complaining. Yet on the chariot, the Canaanites, it's kind of like that, who dwell in the plain of chariots of iron, wah, 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 babies, both those in Bethshan and its villages and those in the valley of Jezreel. Then Joshua said to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, You're a, you are a numerous people, right? Suck it up, y'all. You are a numerous people and have great power. You shall not have one allotment only, but the hill country, he's just reinforcing what he said, but the hill country shall be yours, for though it is a forest, you shall clear it and possess it to its farthest borders, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have chariots of iron and though they're strong. So the final lesson that we learn is this, stop complaining and start conquering. Stop complaining and start conquering. When they gave the lands, this is how they did it. They cast lots, right? So these were stones that were used to, do, to determine the will of God. They would cast them. One was red or one was white, one was black. Probably worked something like this. I'm not saying it was the Urim and the Thummim, but it was something like this. Dice maybe or die. And um, they would cast it and they would discern from how it fell who would get what lot. And so when it came to Joseph and the, the various tribes from Joseph, they didn't like their territories. They didn't like the boundaries that God had set for them. They were unhappy. They were complaining. They essentially said to Joshua, hey, this isn't good enough for us. Like they, roll, they, didn't, they didn't roll up on a donkey. I don't know how they rolled up, but they rolled up to Joshua and they had this attitude of entitlement, right? This attitude of superiority. Don't you know how big we are? Don't you know how numerous we are? I don't know if this was in their mind, but maybe they were implying, hey, don't you remember it was, it was Joseph, like the patriarch of our tribe that rescued Israel in the midst of her calamity and supernaturally supplied for all of the tribes? In other words, listen, there would be no tribes if it wasn't for Joseph, the patriarch of our tribe. 
And then not only that, I'm not sure if you know this, but, but Joshua was of this tribe. And so it also might be that they were looking for an inside track. Hey, bro, come on, man. Do your people a solid. Like, don't you know you're one of us? And so this land's pretty miserable. How about you cut out, how about you cut out a bigger portion? There's forests and there's chariots of iron. And you know, they're, they're just like, it's too hard. It's too hard. Man, give it to somebody else. We want, we want something, we want something easier. We want something that we feel like we deserve. We're entitled, by the way. So much entitlement today. Joseph essentially says, before you complain at what you don't have, take possession of what you do have. Right? Joseph's like, hey, how about this? How about you shut it? No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. But, you know, I'm kind of on a roll here. So how about you shut it? I'm just kidding. How about you shut it? And, and you know what? There are boundaries that have been created here. You don't like the swath of territory that you, you've been given but that's not all the territory. It's going to take some work. You're going to have to cut down some trees. You're going to have to fell some trees. You're going to have to deal with the Canaanites and their chariots. But the fact is this, God has established borders for you. And in, in, instead of looking for more than God has given you, how about you start possessing what God has given to you? How about you stop coveting and complaining and you start conquering. In fact, then he speaks that over their lives. He's like, this is what you're going to do. I'll tell you what you're, yeah, I'm, I'm from the tribe. And by the way, I'm the captain here. So I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to fell some trees. You're going to conquer some Can Canaanites. And you know what? It's going to be awesome to see what God does. Fulfill the possession. Work within the boundaries that God has given. And just in closing tonight, let me say this. It is so important for you and for me to possess all that God has given to us to possess. Oftentimes what we find in our spiritual immaturity is this attitude of entitlement, right? It's like, well, we think we deserve more or we think we deserve something else or we think, you know, over there the grass is greener and God has given him or her or them this thing and we want, we want their thing instead of the thing that God's given us. And God's like, hey, how about you handle the thing that I've given to you first? How about you handle that? You know, you're like, man, I, I don't like my wife. <laughs> I don't like my wife, God. I, 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 want, I want a new wife. I'm just, I'm just discontent, and, and I deserve so much more than, than what you've given to me. And, 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 and I would say, well, you know, <laughs> I, I would say, I would say, hey, have you tried being the best husband that you can be? Have you tried, before, before you start coveting something God hasn't given to you, before you start being ungrateful and, and you're complaining and moaning, you know, about, about this blessing that God's placed in your life, and I'm not saying that there aren't difficulties, but I guarantee you, you're, she's not the only difficult thing in the marriage, right? Before you start complaining about that, have, have you lived sacrificially? Have, have you showed an attitude of gratitude? Have you served the way that God's called you to serve? Have you recognized the beauty? Have, have, you, have you gone through 
all of the territory that God has provided. And really, can you honestly, sincerely say that you have given everything that you have? And, and until, you, until you can say that, stop looking over at the other field where you think the grass is greener. You say, God, I don't like my job. You know, I don't like my job, and I don't like my boss, and there's such a pain, and, and, and I want a different job. And, and I say to you, well, have you, have you worked as hard as you possibly can? Have you been... Have you been the most upstanding employee that your boss has ever known? Have, have you worked in a way that has brought glory and honor to God? Have you done everything for the name of Jesus Christ? In, instead of coveting the thing that you don't have, be faithful with what, is, what has been set before you. Maybe the place of serving. You, you're like, you know what, it's so hard serving and there's so much adversity and I don't get any support and I think it should be like this or that or the other thing and I just say hey that that unthankful attitude is is framing your experience that unthankful attitude is framing your experience and as long as you're going to be unthankful and you're going to have no joy you're going to be miserable and it's not the ministry that God has given to you it's the attitude that you've chosen because that complaining attitude, you know what it does. It, it, it poisons the waters, brothers and sisters. It poisons the waters. And you know, when God refreshes us and renews us and we turn that attitude around and we start thanking God and finding things that we can give Him praise for, hey, they may, they may be small things. They may be small things, but sometimes you have to start with the small so your, your mindset can change. And when when you see the small things and you give God praise, and this is true for the workplace, for the marriage, or, or the service that you're involved in, when you start with the small and your attitude begins to change, you start to see the reality of the big blessings that God has placed in your life. Discontentment often occurs when we fail to possess the territory that God has given to us. And so let's just learn that lesson this evening. Let's commit to leaving this place with a different attitude. Maybe we came in with a, a lack of joy or a lot of ingratitude. Let's leave this place focused fully on the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, God, for tonight, for your word, and just um, build us up in our most holy faith and help us to learn this evening. Help us to apply what you've spoken to us God, that we would be empowered by your spirit to be all that you have desired us to be. Tonight, our, our worship team is gonna come up and I'm gonna have our follow-up team come to the front this evening. And um, what we're gonna ask them to do, and then also if um, you're a pastor or a leader, you know, you can come up as well. We're just gonna close in a time of worship tonight. I just, I just know there may be some of us this evening that need to be prayed for. Maybe we have a need that we, we need to present before God and maybe we've been a border believer and we just are disconnected and, and we need someone to intercede. Maybe tonight there's been a, some ingratitude or failure in the family. I wanna encourage you as we close in worship, you can stand tonight. Just make your way to the front and, and get some prayer. Thank mm -hmm. you.